Amen. Please be seated. Uh, but can I invite uh, Grace, who's going to be helping me with today's reading. So, um, uh, Grace, do you want to come on up? That's great. Um, it's uh, found, if you want to follow through, we've got a couple of passages in the book of Ephesians, uh, which uh, begins, well, our first reading begins on page 1174, if you want to follow it in our sort of church Bibles, 1174, and over to you. Ooh. Thank you, Grace. Thank you, David. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Ephesians chapter three, verse eight to 11. Although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of his mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, thank you, Grace. And I'll finish off uh, today's reading. Uh, so do turn forward one more page to chapter 5, verses 25 to 32. 25 to 32. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I am talking about Christ and the church. Amen. This is God's word. So September is here. And we are looking out about uh, a, new, a new academic year, uh, a new term, and we are looking out with excitement and anticipation for what the living God will be doing in us and through us uh, over the coming season. 
Um, and uh, this Wednesday, we had our sort of first proper staff meeting of the new term, and we gathered together, and I knew what was going to be on the agenda. Uh, what, of all, uh, all the things we could do, we, we, you know, we come with uh, ideas and, and, and visions, uh, all, all loads of good things that we hear from yourselves that we could uh, be getting involved with. Um, however, we need discernment about what are good things to do and what are the things that God is calling us to do. And so before we started getting dates in our diary, let's get that sorted and let's choose a date for that and let's organize that program. We, I just wanted to pause and to sort of help us set aside, you know, and help us to discern what it is we should be doing at this time. And so uh, with, with the team, you know, and I'd encourage you to maybe do this yourself, uh, I just said, Ryan, setting aside all the ideas we might have run from, from previous years, all the activities and the mission uh, and the ministry that goes on during the week and, and on, a, on the weekends. Uh, I, I want us to set aside even our vision statement and our values. And I just want us to imagine if all we had was this book, if that's all we had, and we didn't know what church was meant to be, if all we had was this book, what would be the kind of church that we would want to start together. If there was only the few of us gathered in this room and all we had for reference was this book, what would we be doing, yeah, and what would that look like? You know, what would be essential as part of our DNA? And, you know, what I wanted us to do is to sort of set aside, we, we live... You know, in, in 21st you know, century Maidenhead, we come with sort of cultural expectations of what church should be. And I wanted us to think afresh about what is the actual type of church that God wants us to be. And in essence, this is what we're going to be doing over the next six Sundays. We're going to be looking at God's vision for his church and really just trying to throw off culture and all the other things, that, all the other baggage that we come and sort of see what church looks like from Scripture itself. And this series is going to be called Christ and His Church, A Vision from Scripture. And over the, over the next six weeks or over six Sundays, we're going to be looking at six different things, beginning with the letter S, what it means to be church. And these are steadfast, sharing, serving, suffering, sent. And today, we're going to be looking at sacred, sacred. If you were with us uh, back uh, in the spring, uh, you would have known that we were following through a sermon series in the book of Job. And, uh, and there's the opening chapter, then we've got 36 uh, chapters, long chapters, of, of basically Job and his friends wrestling and coming up with ideas. Um, and then suddenly, God speaks. God's been silent for 36 chapters, and then God speaks, and this is what he says. After listening to Job and his friends talking for 36 chapters, he says this. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Well, these are powerful words, because, you know, it is easy for us to miss the point. It is easy to think we understand something. It's easy for us to plan what church should look like for the next year without actually really seeking the heart of God. And in the closing chapter, Job's closing words reference these words speaking, uh, spoken by God. Job 42, verses 2 to 6 says this. This is Job speaking. You asked, who is this? 
that obscures my counsel without knowledge. And then he says, surely I have spoken of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me. And then he speaks back to God. You said, this is what God said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. And Job's response to that question is this. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes see you. And therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And that phrase came to me this week. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And my prayer for us as a community and for me personally is that as we look afresh at what God has to say about his church, even if we've been around church for decades and decades, my prayer is that we wouldn't just hear with our ears, but we would see with our eyes what God is calling us to become. Sacred. That's the theme that we're looking at today. And, uh, and I wonder, is that, is that the theme that comes to mind when you, uh, when you ask to think about the word church? One of the things that I say uh, a, a few times in the past um, is that as a community, we take God seriously, but we try not to take ourselves to Seriously, and I tend to uh, say this at the beginning uh, of the service if there's a number of newcomers here because, you know, we want people to feel relaxed. We want people to feel at home. However, I sometimes wonder, while I've been wondering this week, is that do I emphasize the latter to the expense of the former? Yes, we are relaxed, come as you are, you know, everyone is welcome church, we, we do not take ourselves too seriously. Well, I hope that we don't take ourselves too seriously. However, what about taking God seriously? When we gather, do we recognize that we are gathering to worship the creator of the cosmos, the almighty God who holds creation in his hands? Do we recognize the sacredness and the holiness of God in our midst? You know, when God appeared to Moses... In the, in the desert, in the burning bush, he calls Moses to him, and then he says this, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And do we, do we recognize the sacredness, the holiness of God? Or, to, to, to coin a phrase that, um, uh, which, can I just say, I thought, oh, that phrase is bound to be in the Bible. It turns out it isn't. It was a phrase uh, by the English poet Alexander Pope. Are we guilty of rushing in where angels fear to tread? Rushing in where angels fear to tread. It's perhaps all too easy to emphasize the loving nature of God and forget that God is also holy. God is love but he's also holy. And I'm reminded of that, uh, that C.S. Lewis uh, book, The Chronicles of Narnia, um, and uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where they first meet Aslan for the first time. Actually, they first hear about Aslan. Aslan, in these set of uh, books, uh, is a figure of Christ, a figure of, uh, of God. And on hearing about Aslan for the first time, who represents Christ, Susan and Lucy ask whether Aslan is safe. To which Mr. Beaver replied, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's good. He's the king, I tell you. 
You see, God is good, God is loving, but God is not safe. He isn't a cuddly toy that we can pack away in a box after a Sunday morning. He is sacred, and he is holy, and he is the king. Now let's consider, actually, what we said we would do. Let's consider what the church looks like in, in the New Testament, the early church. What happened? Well, first story that comes to mind, in Ananias and Sapphira, bits that we don't tend to cover in all age services. You know, Ananias and Sapphira... They came into church, they said they'd sold a field, they said they'd um, uh, gave, give loads of money to the church, and they held back a little bit of money. Basically, they exaggerated. What's wrong with a little bit of exaggeration? Well, for them, God's response is, you lie to the Holy Spirit, and both Ananias and Sapphira were struck down dead for lying to the Holy Spirit. That is the sacredness of God. That is the picture of church in the, uh, in the New Testament. Or perhaps we read, we've just had communion together. Let's read uh, what Paul writes about communion, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, beginning at verse 27. Paul says this. He warns people this. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man or a woman ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks a cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Paul says, A number of you are sick, and some of you have even died because you're not treating that thin place, that special meal with the reverence that it deserves. Or we can look at other places. Uh, For instance, the Old Testament. You know, uh, again, these these scriptures sort of shock us, don't they? You know, like uh, Uzzah, who, who, they're they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant uh, uh, um, uh, to the city, and the the, the Ark starts to wobble, and Uzzah just reaches out to steady the Ark. What's wrong with steadying the Ark? But he touches something that he should not have touched, and he is struck down dead. Or about King Saul. You know, he, he, he'd been waiting for ages and ages and ages for Samuel to come, and he just thought, oh, I'll, I'll just do it myself. I'll make the sacrifices. And because he made the sacrifices, the kingdom was taken out of his hand. Or, or I can remember this as, you know, I started reading, Christian, uh, reading the Bible as a young Christian, and I got, came across this in the, in the Old Testament. I was a bit shocked by it. Um, when when uh, the, the men in Moses' time sort of went, oh, we can do this worship too, and they grabbed the censers and they burnt the incense, and the men of Korah, because they burnt the incense in an unworthy manner, the ground opened up and swallowed them and their households. And so we read those words of C.S. Lewis again, safe. Who said anything about God being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. And he's the king, I tell you. You see, God is sacred, yes. God, I don't want us to lose fact that God is also loving. Because of what Christ has done for us, we are able to enter into the Holy of Holies. Yeah, we are able to approach him as father, but he's also sacred. Often we just talk about God being loving, but actually God is sacred. Jesus knew this. He says, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Word number one, Luke chapter 11, Father. Word number two, hallowed. Father, 
hallowed, holy, sacred, honoured is your name. Do we recognise that church is sacred, that the heart of church is a holy God? And we need to make sure we don't treat church as something common. Let's be careful not to cheapen church. We, we live, and this is our issue, we live in an individualistic, consumer is king society. And we need to be careful not to bring this attitude to church. Because we are not the heart of church. We're not the heart of church. That's why that song, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Because it's all about him. You know, I'm sorry, Lord, for the things that I've made it. Because it's all about you. You see, church is bigger than all of us. Church is about God. You know, church is up there and we're down here and we fit into church. But what we do is we make ourselves big. And we say, how does church, does this church fit into my life? Yes, we all have our different uh, preferences and things that we feel that are important. But to reduce church down to something that fits into our lifestyles and has to match our preferences is to cheapen the reality of the sacredness of our gatherings and to miss the sacred God at the center of it all. And it just becomes a, a, a nice club where we share similar interests. Because, friends... We do not gather for entertainment. We gather for exaltation. We don't gather to be entertained. We gather to give God the worship that he's due. We do not gather on a Sunday for what church can give to us. We gather to give God the worship that's due his name. It's a pastor by the name of Francis Chan. Some of you may have read some of his books. Uh, and he's been on his own journey uh, in thinking through what the, church, uh, what the scriptures have to say about church. And he planted a church and it grew and it grew and it grew and it became one of the biggest churches in the US. Um, it was one of these mega churches. Uh, and then all of a sudden, he just resigned. He just stepped aside. And what had been going on is that he'd been struggling to... to, to to lead this huge megachurch and marry it to what he found in this book. And he, and he realized, this isn't what church is meant to be. You know, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's a wonderful church, but he realized that this, this, this you know, isn't what church is meant to be. And so he's moved back. He started planting a series of small churches, uh, really trying to stay close to what the Bible has to say uh, about the vision of church. But back when he was leading his mega church, you know, what one person came up to him after the service. I'm sure it's not a, uh, an isolated incident. Uh, but he came up and basically says, um, Mr. Chan, or whatever they called him, they said, um, I didn't really like the worship this morning. I didn't really like the worship. And maybe, you know, you, you might walk out of, of church on a Sunday and just say to, you know, whoever, you know, I, d- I didn't, really, didn't really like the word. I didn't really, didn't really do anything for me. Do you know what Francis Chan's response was? He says, that's okay. We weren't worshipping you. We weren't worshipping you. And I know that's a, a little bit uh, cheeky, not the most sensitive response, but there's something worth reflecting on. We need to be careful about worship, just being about our own tastes and preferences. Worship is to God, and it's for God, and it's about God, and we're exalting him because church is sacred, and God is at the heart of the church, not us. 
And, and so um, uh, the book of Ephesians, you know, we could preach through passage by passage in the book of Ephesians because it's got loads to say about what the church is. Um, uh, but we're, we're having a more thematic uh, uh, sermon series this time. So I just wanted to highlight this morning three um, passages out of this book of Ephesians, which we've already read, which have m- amazingly rich descriptions of what the church is. Now, uh, uh, now, we don't have time this morning to sort of unpack this in any kind of depth. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to take those three passages um, and uh, I'm going to encourage you, m- maybe this week, to read through the book of Ephesians or read through these passages and spend time sort of chewing on them, allowing them to feed your hearts and souls and ask God to reveal to you the remarkable privilege it is to be part of his church and allow that to inspire you to worship. So read, reflect, pause, worship. But by way of introduction, I just wanted to give you sort of um, five headline truths, five words, as it were, to help us reflect upon the book of Ephesians um, uh, through this. And so our first Ephesians reading was Ephesians chapter 2. And in it, we read this. We are members of God's household. So headline number one that perhaps you want to be reflected upon this, this uh, week is that church is family. Church is family. And with, with family, sometimes there's the grumpy uncle and you're all looking at me, I know. Uh, uh, you know, or there's the, the odd cousin or something like that. But actually, church is family. And we are connected to one another on a spiritual level. So spend time thanking God for the gift of family. And in the same passage, in Ephesians chapter 2, we also have church spoken about, about the temple of God. You know, the, the temple of God. You know, I can remember when they dedicated the temple in the Old Testament, you know, there's this amazing chapter where it talks about the fire of God, God's presence descending upon the temple, and what it would have been like to be there. But here it says that in the New Testament, we are the temple of God in which his glory and presence dwells. In verse 21, we read this. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Peter, that was Paul speaking. Peter, likewise, speaks about the church being a temple in which God dwells by his spirit. And he describes us, not these brown or whatever red things, I'm a bit colorblind, they're not the stones, we're the stones. And we're being built together with Christ as the cornerstone. uh, And we, along with the apostles and the prophets, are being built together. And somehow, you see, we are like these living stones that somehow transcend time and space as we are being joined together And as we are being joined together, God makes his home with us. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we are being counted worthy of being the dwelling place of God. And this is amazing stuff. So spend time praying about it. And so let's move on to the second passage, Ephesians chapter 3. And in it we read, The mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God. The mystery which for ages past has been hidden in God. So what is this mystery? Well, the previous verse, verse 6, reveals it to us. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs along with Israel, members of one body, and share us together 
in the promise of Christ. The church is family, the church is a temple in which God dwells, and the church is one. Gentiles, along with Israel, all nations, we're all part of one body. Those are the last words we said together, you know, before we moved into a time of worship. You know, we share this body, uh, we, we are one body because we all share in one bread. The church is one. Through the saving work of Jesus on the cross, people of every tongue and nation, every background and culture throughout time are members of one body. And this is a beautiful truth. The church is one. And turning to our last reading, Paul begins with uh, about speaking about a husband and a wife. And then he writes these words. Speaking about a husband and wife. And then he says this. And this is a profound mystery, but I'm not talking, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Here, as in other places, the church is seen as the bride, the bride of Christ. Jesus is at work in our lives right now to make us holy and blameless. Jesus loves his bride. You know, Jesus, we might look at the worldwide church and think, man, it's a bit of a mess, but Jesus doesn't. Jesus loves his church, his bride. And not only the bride, but also these verses speak of the church as the body of Christ. We read this. After all, no one hated his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of his body. Marvel at this privilege, won for us by the sacrificial death of Jesus upon the cross. You know, we've got a God who dwells in unapproachable light, who holds creation together, and yet somehow we are part of his body. Five headline truths, family, temple, one, bride, body. Let's meditate upon these things because this is what the church really is. Church is not somewhere that we come on a Sunday morning. Church is not a group of people that share similar interests. Church is sacred and at the heart of church is God. So friends, let's not reduce church to something less, lesser. Instead, may we capture vision of what church truly is. And may Job's words be our words. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And therefore I despise myself, repent in dust and ashes. So let's repent for equating church to something lesser, to chasing the latest program or the latest fad. But instead, may our eyes be open to how God sees his church, the powerful, the eternal, the majestic, the beautiful church, because the church is family. The church is God's temple in which he dwells. The church is one. The church is God's beloved bride, and the church is his body. The church is sacred. So let us pray. Let's stand. We're going to pray, and then we're going to move into worship.